Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Living the Stream podcast. I'm JJ Zacharyson, or the late round quarterback, and I'm joined by my pal and co-host Denny Carter. Denny, what's shaking, man? Well, I've uh, stopped writing uh, for Sports Jerks and the Fake Football for the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Yeah, I've been writing nonstop for seven days, haven't eaten, haven't gone to the bathroom, nothing. So that's uh, it, this is going to be a good break. That's impressive. You were on top of everything during the free agency period. It was like it was almost instantaneous. Reggie Bush signs with the Lions, <laughs> and about 20 minutes later, there's an article out about Reggie Bush's fantasy impact, so bravo. Yeah, well, you know, like like newspapers that write obituaries for important people just ahead of time, I, I had Reggie Bush uh, stories for like 13 teams, just in case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it's, it's, a, it's a nice way to approach it. You had, I, I know you wrote a Steven Jackson article, too. I wrote one yesterday, which was, what, like five days late, but I know that, you know, you, you probably prepared... Uh, all all seven teams that he was potentially going to get, including the Steelers, because obviously the Steelers had enough cap space and, re- and had a reasonable idea of getting reasonable thought of getting him. Right. Hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the Steelers uh, a version of the article for you to frame it and put it uh, put it in your room. Okay. Yeah, that'll that's, that'd be a nice dream. My uh, yeah. my Steelers are are slowly diminishing to nothing. <laughs> but it was it was all kind of expected, I guess, given the uh, the cap situation, but. You know, today on the pod, we're just gonna we're gonna talk about all of these moving parts that have gone on the past week in the NFL with free agency starting. So, uh, you know, some of the big offensive signings is what we we really care about because we're fantasy football nerds. Um, and you know, there were a lot of signings that impacted the, the fantasy landscape. So we're gonna kind of dig into each of those, the bigger ones. Uh, and you know, Brian Hartline, the re-signing in in Miami, we might touch on, but he's not going to be the focus of this podcast, for instance. But you know, there's there's plenty of other guys that uh, that that signed to new teams and that will definitely make a huge fantasy impact next season. So uh, I wanted to first start with the biggest biggest news, and that's Wes Welker moving to Denver and Danny Amendola and then going to New England. So let's start with Welker, Denny. What do you see uh, from from Welker in 2013 from a fantasy perspective? I, I still think that obviously he has uh, a lot of fantasy value, just like he always has, especially in PPR. Uh, I, I do think that having two extremely capable receivers to his outside in, in Decker and Thomas uh, is probably not a plus for him, and um, it's it remains to be seen how you know Manning would use him in the slot, whether it would be like um, Austin Collie and his brief nine game stint in um in 2010 uh or or in in some other way um but i, I think that um uh he you know he's he's still going to have value although i think that he may be overdrafted just on name value uh just just because his name is Wes Welker uh i wrote an article for sports jerks uh, the other day uh, saying that um there is a a valid case to be made for uh, drafting Amendola over uh, Welker, um, especially if uh, Amendola is given that Welker role plus some because he can do things uh, that Welker can't. And I think that even a huge Wes Welker fan would ad- admit as much. Um, so I, I think that both of them will be PPR forces to be reckoned with, reckoned with for sure. Uh, and I probably, as of March 19th or whatever this is, uh, I would lean Amendola's way as far as value because he's not going to go as high as Welker unless uh, you know things change dramatically over the next three or four months. Yeah, so on March nineteenth, you're leaning Amendola's way, and then on September seventeenth, when he breaks his his clavicle, then you're gonna you're gonna go back Welker's way. I'm assuming. How dare you? How dare you call out <laughs> Amendola for breaking something every every third game he plays in? Yeah, I mean, I, that's clearly the biggest hit on Amendola when it comes to his fantasy value next season is the fact that he's he hasn't stayed on the field. I think he missed 20 games over the last two seasons, um, and, and that is not something that you want out of a fantasy football player. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, it's natural to compare the two now that, that Amendola looks to be uh, taking Welker's role up in New England, and I think... The key insight with Amendola and his fantasy value is that it's based on upside rather than what we've seen in the past, whereas Welker, we've seen what he can do. We kind of know what his ceiling would be in a New England offense. Now, obviously, he's not going to be in New England next season, so that's going to change. But with Amendola, it's all about that upside. So we can say, 
yeah, he could hit Welker numbers very easily because if he's taking that role, then he could see the 160-plus targets that Wes Welker would see every season. But then on the flip side, you know, he's taking a new role, so we don't know if he's going to be successful in that role, and we don't know if he's going to stay healthy. Right, and I mean, you know, uh, everything that we do in fantasy is based on uh, limited information. We're always limited as far as information goes, and I think that's important to acknowledge uh, that you that you know a lot of these things are guesses. We are we're gonna guess what the chemistry will be between Amendola and Tom Brady. It probably won't be at least at first uh, as as great chemistry as Brady had with Welker over um, what was six or seven seasons in New England. Um, but I think that Amendola's production in St. Louis uh, is something that I don't know maybe overlooked a little bit. Um, it, if you extrapolate extrapolate his stats over 16 games last year, uh, he only played in 11. Um, he would have uh, 90 catches for 965 yards, which is uh, numbers right there with Victor Cruz, except for Cruz's crazy touchdown rate. Uh, and uh, it would have given Amendola 11 more yards uh, than uh, Randall Cobb. So I think that you're looking at a guy who clearly has potential uh, as in PPR as a as a top end wide receiver too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, and I I think that people kind of overestimate and and um, you know overvalue Wes Welker in general because of what he's he's done in the Patriots offense. I mean, he's not a big touchdown scorer PPR wise. Of course, he's a monster, but um, I I don't think. I don't think it's necessary to to get too hyped up about either guy right now into next season. So I, I hate to do this, but if you really so let's think about Welker in, in Denver. Uh, you know he's he's going to be their number two guy. I would assume Decker might come in every once in a while. Demarius Thomas, his fantasy value, I don't think is going to be impacted. He's a guy that can he can stretch the field. He can do anything. He's a monster. I would still draft Thomas uh, probably in the second round where he's been going. Still, I, I think that you might be lucky and fortunate because other people might devalue Demarius Thomas now that Welker's there. So maybe from an ADP perspective, you might be able to snag him in the early third instead of the late second. So just keep that in mind as, as uh, you know, August approaches and you're drafting. But the one thing I want to point out is that Wes Welker's fantasy production is solely based on targets. I mean, he, he had 166 last season, which was top five in the NFL. He, uh, he he his he had he had the most drops, which he does drop a lot of passes, but yeah. his drop rate isn't necessarily uh, significant because he gets so many targets. But what but when when you're going to a new situation where there are two very very capable receivers, that has to scare you at least a little bit. So you know Demarius Thomas last season had under 140 targets, uh, and Eric Decker I think had 120. And you bring in another guy. I hate to do this kind of math. I think it's usually pretty stupid because. You never know how the game is gonna gonna play out, and usually when a team gets a new wide receiver, that new wide receiver is gonna take a number one or number two role. But usually, that number two wide receiver isn't Eric Decker. You know, that number two receiver being replaced is not a six foot three guy who just came off a thirteen touchdown season. Right. And and you know that's another thing is that Denver's got phenomenal phenomenal red zone talent in Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker. They're both they both have six inches on Wes Welker. Uh, you know, Joel Dreesen and Jacob Tammy can both get in the end zone. I'm not saying that they're going to be as relevant as they were last year. I definitely think that both tight ends will take a hit mm-hmm. uh, given Welker's slot presence. But I think overall, you have to be you have to be realistic with yourself. And I, I think Welker's still going to have a fairly high ADP because, like you said, because of his name and because of that, I I, I don't think I'm going to own him in any fantasy leagues yeah, next year. I, I don't plan on owning him. I mean, unless something crazy happens, but just. As a side note, uh, Welker's current ADP is uh, uh, the middle of the fourth round, and Amendola's is the beginning of the eighth. Uh, Amendola's will definitely change, especially yeah. if he if he looks good in the preseason, or if there are you know camp reports that were similar to Brandon Lloyd's last year that made Lloyd such a value commodity. <laughs> Uh, yeah, him being Randy Moss. Amendola is not Randy Moss. Right. Let's just throw that out there right now. Right, very few people are. I think that that was the lesson of the Brandon Lloyd <laughs> fiasco last year. Which, yes. I mean, I bought into. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I sure. I, I really thought there was something there, but anyway, Amendola's uh, going uh, with the second pick of the eighth round, 
I but I don't see that you know in in standard scoring, I don't see that going above what the end of the fifth. I mean, I, I just don't think yeah. that when when non obsessive obsessive start drafting that it's going to suddenly spike into the fourth round. Yeah, and you know whenever you and we're going to get into all these receivers here in a second, and while this it's going to be a common theme where you know when you have these question marks at receiver and the receiver position is so deep, there really is no reason to reach for any of these receivers. Wes Welker, if he's a fifth-round guy, I'm still not going to get him next year. If Amendola reaches a fifth-round ADP, I'm probably not going to own him either just because I, I don't know what I'm going to get. And I think you can get those upside guys like a Brian Quick you know, in the 11th, 12th, 13th round where you're getting that upside, but then you can get that stability, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in round four, five, six, and seven. So maybe Amendola and Wes Walker really aren't the kind of guys that you want to own in fantasy next year. Right. T.Y. Hilton in the seventh round, I mean, you know, that's crazy value. Yeah, I mean, the, the position is crazy. And it and it changed a lot. You know, another guy that just, uh, just switched teams is Percy Harvin. I know that you wrote an article on him as well, so you want to talk about him a little bit in Seattle? I uh, I think that uh, Greg Cosell uh, on the shutdown corner, I think it was last week, had a great point about how Harvin could be used in Seattle um, uh, as a as a as a guy who uh, will be motioned a lot across the formation and used in the read option that the Seahawks sort of dabbled in at the at the end of last year. Um, it was uh, it was pretty effective if I if I remember correctly. And I think that the threat of a of a running quarterback will only do you know worlds of good for a guy like Harvin. Um, he didn't have that in Minnesota. He hardly had a quarterback in Minnesota. I mean, that's why right. you know that I think that's why more than anything he was limited to those those screen passes, those those dump offs, those little you know uh, two yard hitch routes that he was running at the beginning of the year. Uh, that uh, it's because of the limitations of Christian Ponder. Russell Wilson doesn't have that. I think you're going to see. Uh, I think you're going to see his uh, Harvin's route tree expand, uh, probably by a lot. Um, and if he can stay healthy, which he's been very healthy over the years, I know he. I know he's considered like this injury disaster because he yeah. get migraines and and almost not play, but always play. Um, and, uh, you know, he hurt his ankle last year and, and missed seven games. I understand that, but that that stuff happens and. From all accounts, he's recovering fine, uh, and he's, I don't see him as any more of an injury risk than anyone else who's ever missed seven games in a year. So um, he's gonna—I mean, you're gonna have to burn an early pick on him. Um, I'm trying to find his ADP right now. It's—he's uh, going tenth pick of the, of the second round. That'll probably rise, honestly. And um, uh, I think that he's—he's—he has better prospects in Seattle than he did in Minnesota, and he was pretty damn good in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think he's gonna uh, gonna definitely outperform what he's done uh, in the past in Minnesota. And you mentioned the the Christian Ponder effect. Mike Clay has the average depth of of target uh, statistic that he created uh, however long ago. And Percy Harvin's was like I think four point three yards, which was I think three yards less than any other receiver in the league. Just to show you yeah. the kind of throws that he was getting in. Uh, in Minnesota, and Pete Prisco of CBS uh, Sports loved to, to to mention the fact that Percy Harvin had a horrible uh, average yards per catch, but but the whole reason for that was because they were dumping the ball off to him, and they were almost using him as as only a screen receiver. Right, as a, as a sort of as a, as an extension of the running game. I mean, they knew they had to get the ball in his hands because he was their second best player on offense, behind Adrian Peterson, obviously, and the only way to do that reliably. With a limited quarterback, is to is you know to dump it off to to, to screen to screen like crazy. Um, I actually I, I wanted to mention this stat before I forgot. Uh, in my sports jerks article, I mentioned Harvin averaged just a crazy. If you think about this, point uh, four three fantasy points per snap uh, in the first half of 2012. I mean, so, so every snap that he took. On, on offense, he was scoring four tenths of a fantasy point. I mean that that's that's mind blowing to me. I, that's mind boggling. Yeah. yeah, that's insane. <coughs> Excuse me, but I I think uh, another thing to think about 
you know, there was no one in, in Minnesota, at least last year, that could really stretch the field. And uh, if Harvin's going to be used, even if he's going to be used in those in those shorter patterns in Seattle, you have a guy like Sidney Rice who can really get downfield. Golden Tate can even get downfield. I think that, uh, that that could really open things up for Harvin. I mean, you think about it, there is nobody in Minnesota outside of Kyle Rudolph that was even a reasonable option at receiver. Yeah. Now he's going into a situation where... You know, he's got two other great receivers. He's got a better quarterback. He's got a better running back. I mean, it, he's he's going into a much more favorable favorable uh, situation. So I, I definitely understand why his late round or late second round ADP exists. Again, I think it's a situation though where I want to load up on running backs early. I know you probably do too. So his while his average draft position seems reasonable, I think that you know it's a it's a Des Bryant situation where like oh yeah I would love to own Des Bryant of course because he has massive massive upside but I don't know if I want to if, if the opportunity cost is worth it yeah just just own Harvin in all your daily fantasy degenerate leagues that's what I'll do yeah that's a, that's a really good point actually so you know the other guy another guy that uh, that surprisingly, it was a not necessarily surprisingly left, but it was a, a weird way of leaving. Was Anquan Bolden? Oh. Uh, you know, about to be released. We all thought that he was going to be released. We all thought that the the uh, that you know the Ravens cap situation was going to force him out. But you know, there was a part of most of us that thought that after him stating that he would retire if he if he had to leave Baltimore, uh, we we all kind of thought that they would get a deal done. But after negotiations kind of fell through, I read today that the Harbaugh's got on the phone and, you know, John was, was talking up Bolden and how they were going to release him. So Jim was like, hey, why don't we take him? So we'll give you guys a six-round draft pick. So that's kind of how that went down. I, I mean, it's, know that. It's, wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, like, I have an older brother and we used to, you know, collect football cards and baseball cards. Could you imagine, like, you know, <laughs> like I'm trading my Wayne Gretzky for Mario Lemieux right. or I'm trading, you know, I'm trading my Barry Sanders for his, uh, I don't know, Marshall Falk. Right. And he, they're, they're using humans. <laughs> I mean, they are trading, they're trading human beings. It's insane. Yeah, but, that's cool. You know, it was it was kind of a kind of a surprise in a way just because it seemed like the, uh, the it seemed like the story was going to continue with him and Flacco. You know, they... They had a phenomenal end of the season, obviously. Anquan Bolden played out of his mind in the playoffs. Yeah. And from like that week 15, I think everyone keeps pinpointing that Ravens game against the Giants week 15 when they, when they smoked them, and that's kind of when uh, things, things uh, started to get good for the Ravens. And you know, I think that was when Cam Cameron actually Yeah, it was after his fire. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, you know, it, 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 was, it was surprising, but understandable why it happened and for those of you who who are like oh how did Anquan Bolden get traded for a sixth round pick well it's because they were going to release him anyway so they got something for him right that was that was why that happened so so don't uh don't throw that out there on Twitter anymore <laughs> uh I actually uh I think that um the Flacco's success and the de- general success of the Ravens offense uh late in the season and into the playoffs was uh was due I think more to Jim Caldwell and uh, his yep. his uh, kind of refresh, uh, kind of reset of the Ravens' offense. It wasn't a completely different offense, but it was definitely different. You saw Ray Rice run a bunch more screens. You saw more motion across the line. the 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 formation wasn't so static. You know, it was it was so static. I remember reading something by a a game film analyst who said that uh, the the Ravens. The Ravens' offense is predicated on before before Jim Caldwell took over was predicated on Bolden and Torrey Smith beating their guys one on one, and if that didn't happen, then nothing would happen. Yep. So that, I think that that I I don't fear for Flacco's fantasy value, whatever that may be next year, uh, because he's lo- losing Bolden. Um, but uh, you know, you may want to punch me in the face for saying that. I don't know. Yeah. No. I. So Denny and I talked about this for, for you guys who were listening. Denny and I talked about this a little bit earlier, and I just mentioned the fact that you know I'm not very high on this Ravens offense because of this Bolden loss uh, moving into 2013. And I, like you said, you know Caldwell did a phenomenal job when when he took over that offense, and it has nothing to do with that. I just think that a lot of the offense's success 
uh, into the playoffs did go through Anquan Bolden, and his I mean his catch radius is unreal, yeah. and the the amount of space that he needs against I mean this isn't really relevant to this discussion, but God, it's he played out of his mind. But regardless, I, I just I don't see. You know, let, let's pretend that, that Bolden was still there. Moving into the season, would I see Flacco as fantasy relevant? Yeah, he'd be relevant, but I would never draft him necessarily as my QB1. I mean, last season, he only had three games of three or more touchdowns. I don't think he had a single game of four touchdowns. Uh, he's He's been sporadic his entire career. Mm-hmm. We can still pinpoint those four or five games that he played at the end of the season to win the Super Bowl and whatnot, but, I mean, he's still he's still a major risk. While I do love Dennis Pitta, and I think that uh, this this move, this Bolden move, is going to be huge for Pitta, um, I'm not sold on Joe Flacco being, you know, a high end. He might be a high end QB two, maybe, but I'm still going to put him in that like QB sixteen, maybe seventeen range with Bolden not being there. And a lot of that, to me, has to do with the security blanket aspect of things. You know, the biggest hit knock on Joe Flacco. Uh, you know, one of the biggest knocks that he's had uh, since coming into the league is the fact that he's he's just not with it upstairs. He just he can't. I'm, this is not me saying this because I've I've voiced my hatred towards Joe <laughs> Flacco. He he often would stare down receivers. He couldn't grasp the playbook, and a lot of that I think Cam Cameron just babied him a little bit because he didn't want Flacco to have to run that offense and potentially and that could potentially have been disastrous. So that's why we saw. Corey Smith and Anquan Bolden having to beat their guys in order for that offense to be successful. Right. And then in comes Caldwell, things change up a bit, and they win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So sure, things are going to change up, and Flacco can clearly comprehend the offense, but a lot of this is going to have to, I think in the at the end of the day, come down to how Torrey Smith plays uh, wide out next year. I mean, he's got to be the number one guy that they want him to be, and I'm not sure he's there yet. Yeah, I, I well, I don't even know if he has. I mean, I I, I don't know uh, if if he has the the size speed combination to be that dominant number one type receiver. Uh, I mean, he's he's fast as hell. Don't get me wrong, um, but uh, I I don't know. I I just I'm not sure if he'll ever make the the big jump to like a top five to seven fantasy wide receiver. I mean, right. he'll still look at. He'll still he'll still be very good. In fact, I I like his prospects a ton this year, um, especially if they just continue what they were doing uh, uh, into the end of last year. But I'm glad you mentioned Pitta. I think that Bolden's departure, you know, they occupied the same part of the field for m- um, much of last year. Uh, if you look at uh, their stats from game to game, you'll see games where uh, in which uh, Bolden excelled, uh, Pitta's numbers dropped off, and vice versa. Um, because they both played the slot a lot, and they they both got to the middle of the field, and and Flacco found them there. I think that Bolden's departure just kind of solidifies, in my mind, uh, Dennis Pitta as the guy to have after the Elite Five, after Gronk, Graham, Hernandez, Tony Gonzalez, and Jason Witten. I think that Pitta's clearly the guy after after that group. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. I think the way to really... uh, you know, it, it's not as though Anquan Bolden had this amazing impact in the fantasy world last season, uh, or you know, on on in that offense until really the playoffs happened. I mean, their passing game wasn't all that strong. Flacco threw for under four thousand yards. Um, you know, but I another guy that's that's there that is a receiving threat is Ed Dixon. Yeah, so that's true. Keep an eye out. I mean, he's still. He's still a body there that yeah. is capable. Yeah, I mean, th- their their depth chart is is looking pretty uh, pretty weak. It is, it is, and actually, uh, as far, as long as we're on tight ends, uh, I wanted to mention Martellus Bennett signing with the Bears. I know we're yeah. late on this, but uh, it's been about ten days. But I saw a quote from um, the Bears uh, tight end coach uh, Andy Bischoff, who I think we all know. I think we all. No, Andy Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love Andy Bischoff. <laughs> right, I follow him on Twitter, and uh, yeah. So he um, he he made this big promise uh, the other day about uh, lining up Bennett all over the field. Uh, now that means different things to different people, and the 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 Bears' offensive line being so bad, maybe Bennett will be asked to block more than we more than we'd like. 
Um, but uh, he had a quote uh, specifically that, that kind of caught my attention. Um, he said, uh, uh, we, we believe Bennett can threaten the defense and create stress in the middle of the field. And uh, uh, Mark Tressman, the head coach to the Bears, uh, runs an offense that really kind of attacks the middle of the field, uh, not necessarily all the time with a tight end, um, but with a big body, uh, with a Brandon Marshall, yep. maybe with an Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, and Martellus Bennett is, you know, he's a giant. He's 6'6", uh, 275. So, you know, that's uh, something that I think that really boosts his value. And um, I think he'll be touchdown dependent a little bit. But if he's not if he's not asked to block as much as we think he, he might be, then... I, I really like him as a guy who you can get basically for free and just yeah. see if he pans out. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, last year he had five touchdowns, and four of those five touchdowns came from, from the slot. So I think, I mean, he's he's the big body that they need down the middle of the field in Chicago. Um, I, I think that he could easily find himself as Cutler's uh, second favorite target next season. You know, Alshon Jeffries, the field stretcher, Brandon Martian, Marshall Moore, the possession receiver, and then you got... Martellus Bennett there down the middle of the field. Uh, you know, Cutler, Cutler uh, you know, doesn't necessarily favor the tight end uh, per se, but when Greg Olson was there, I think they played two seasons together, and mm-hmm. uh, Greg Olson averaged over 50 receptions under Cutler, and he had one top 10 uh, fantasy season with Cutler. Yeah. So, you know, the, Greg Olson and Martellus Bennett, you know, Olson's more athletic, I would say, but Bennett's that big body, again, that could be a red zone threat, I don't think it's going to really do anything to Brandon Marshall's fantasy value. You know, for Marshall to repeat his touchdown production might be a little bit more difficult to do anyway. But, I mean, he's he's still one of the most talented receivers yeah. in the league. It's like a Demarius Thomas situation. He's not. It's not going to impact him. They're going to give him his targets. They're going to do what they can to get him the ball. But this adds another dimension for Chicago in the red zone to be able to do more with that offense. Right. Well, when, when the Raiders ran Tressman's offense in uh, 2002, the uh, top three pass catchers for, for that uh, Raiders team uh, caught 220 some, 225 passes uh, combined. And, you know, that's, that's a ton. That was uh, uh, Tim Brown, Jerry Rice and, uh, yep. and uh, Porter. Uh, what's it? Yeah. What was it? Jerry Porter. Jerry Porter. And uh, so the, I mean, that's a ton, ton of, of footballs to go around. And you know, Bennett's either going to be the second or the third option. So I think he'll get his. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, he's a tight end too that can block. So that's a, that's good news for, uh, for Chicago given their offensive line woes for sure. Right, and and in all of our uh, points per block leagues, I think we're all in. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. I love my my PPB leagues. <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah, I love them. Uh, so let's just stay on the tight end theme since we we jumped to Martellus. You know, another another big signing was Jared Cook to St. Louis. Um, here's he's I, I, okay. I was about to say here's a guy. I hate when people on ESPN, yeah, all these analysts. Here's a guy who it's like a, the John Madden. Here's yeah, here's I know, a guy. Yeah. Mark. <laughs> Mark Schlereth is the king of here's a guy. I can't believe I'm talking about ESPN. I can't stand but that. It's, but it's actually what comes after that's the worst. Here's a guy who knows how to play football. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Here's a guy who eats breakfast every day. I mean, yeah. Exactly. That's, all right. I get it. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, Jared Cook, uh, the last, what, three years, I guess it's been? He's been this this fantasy sleep. He's been the constant fantasy sleeper. He's he's like Rip Van Winkle. The guy's been sleeping for the last eighty years. So I, I'm I'm excited about him in St. Louis. You know, it's another situation where they don't have the receiving options uh, like Chicago. Not to say they're going to run a similar offense because Jared Cook is one of the more athletic tight ends in the league. They can really create mismatches with him. I've already heard. That you know they do have Lance Kendricks there that could play the more traditional tight end role, uh, and if they if yeah Lance Kendricks man he was he was one of my sleepers last year <laughs> how'd that work, uh but but again you know it, it uh I think Cook if he lines up more in that in that wide uh, plays in that wide out role given the inexperience at wide receiver in St Louis Cook could be a low end tight end that you draft maybe in the thirteenth round even that ends up being a top, you know, seven-ish tight end. 
Yeah, he look. He was coming on last year, and I'm actually disappointed he left the Titans because I felt like I had a much better grasp of who he would be fantasy wise yeah. with the Titans. Yep. I mean, I wrote this basically like this this love sonnet to Jared Cook <laughs> yeah. um, uh, for the fake football a few weeks ago. You know, because it seemed like the Titans were going to keep him, and the new offensive coordinator was all about Jared Cook and Kenny Britt. And just before he he got hurt and was out for the year last year, he was getting ton, a ton of targets. Uh, they were looking for him in the in the red zone. Now I don't know. Now I'm now I'm kind of flummoxed as to how I'm supposed to value Jared Cook, Jared Cook, especially in the in a Rams offense that's just god awful, right? I mean, they're just yeah, just terrible. Yeah, they're they're getting better. I'm 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 becoming more and more high on them, like everyone else is. But it doesn't help that they're playing San Fran and Seattle twice oh, a season. Yeah, either. man, I just can't. But, I don't know. You know, I I think Brian. The reason I was high on Lance Kendricks last year was because Brian Schottenheimer, their offensive coordinator, who became their offensive coordinator last year, was the offensive coordinator for the Jets prior to that, mm. where Dustin Keller was a very 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 uh, relevant fantasy tight end uh, in that system. So I just kind of translated that as other fantasy analysts did, and I was high on Lance Kendricks. But now you have Jared Cook, who has proven he's, he's had flashes of great play. I mean, he, has, he had that, like, 80-yard touchdown last year, I think. I mean, he's, he's definitely got the talent. It's just a matter of getting him the ball. And to me, his contract, his $19 million guaranteed, shows me that they're invested in this guy, and they really want to get him the ball. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was actually just looking at his uh, the the lack of usage Cook had. He had twenty four offensive snaps in week four of last year, which was kind of, kind of like the the bottom of his you know fantasy you know disaster of the last couple of years, uh, where he kind of bottomed out. But uh, he wasn't being used at all, and I think that if he's used and if he stays upright. I mean, he has more than uh, a skill set to to excel. You know, he has good hands. He's incredibly fast, kind of a straight line runner, fast. And uh, uh, from what I understand, he runs good routes. So uh, I, I just I don't see a reason why he can't succeed. I just with that offense, the Bradford and the offensive line. I don't know. I'm just I I, I may my love for Jerry Cook may have waned. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely would not own him in a PPB league for sure. <laughs> no, no, don't. He is a he is a must sell in all PPB dynasty leagues, guys. Yes, yeah, definitely get rid of him. Get get a guy like Martellus Bennett. Yeah, another guy. The other guy that I wanted to touch on briefly. I, I'm I'm I think I have an early man crush, Denny. Oh boy. On on James Casey. Oh yes. In in, in Philadelphia, I, I can just touch on this briefly. Um, because I, I think it's going to be more impactful than what most people are really realizing. And, and you know, I think there's this general, uh, I don't even know, I don't just this general vagueness and ambiguity to the Eagles' offense next season because nobody understands what Chip Kelly's going to be doing. We know Chip Kelly's offense. We know what he could do. We don't, we don't know how it's going to translate to the NFL. But there's one thing that we do know is that he likes those athletic, versatile kind of players. And James Casey is that. James Casey got drafted by the White Sox in 2003. I mean, the guy, the guy can do everything. There's, there's this quote that, that kind of tells you how, uh, how Kelly thinks of, or how Chip Kelly thinks of James Casey. He said, <clears throat> I think the versatility that you can present to defenses is when you have a certain grouping in a game that's not only one thing you can do. And I think I think the teams that have been successful doing it, you know, when you watch the Patriots line up, Aaron Hernandez all over the place, is he, is, he, is he going to be a tight end? Is he going to be a receiver? Is he going to be a running back? It makes it very difficult for the defense. That right there, not only has he, he compared Aaron Hernandez to James Casey over and over and over again. James Casey in college played multiple positions. He could do anything. He could do everything. I am unbelievably high on James Casey next year in fantasy. I think that I mean you could you could get him for for your socks right now in in any league. Right. No. Get him if you're in a dynasty league. Get him. I am 
I'm I'm in love. He's super high on him. And actually, yeah, no, I think that, that that any pair of socks for James Casey is a good deal. You should take that right now, everyone. Go ahead and do that. Do it. Uh, do I, it. I actually, I mean, I, I think in his in the limited time that I've seen him, uh, uh, he's he's been impressive. And with and like you said, in Chip Kelly's offense, I think a lot of guys could emerge as just fantasy monsters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know, I, it could be. It could be someone like him. It could be someone like Deshaun Jackson, who gets gets kind of that versatile role. Um, it remains to be seen. But uh, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on the on the Casey love. But uh, I won't I won't butt in. He's all yours. All right. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 my man for sure. I it it just blows me away. You know, I love to think. I mean, you know that I love to think about fantasy football from more of that opportunity cost perspective. It's not all about yeah, I love this guy, or yeah, I hate this guy, don't draft that guy. It's all about of where you can get that guy yeah. and how much upside that player has. So if you if you kind of look at that next tier, I know you mentioned Dennis Pitta, but I'm talking about kind of the one after that where it's like the Jermaine Greshams sure. and the you know Owen Daniels, guys like that. And, and you're sitting there and you have to spend you know maybe a ninth, 10th, 11th round pick on those guys where there are still plenty of wide receivers available. And if you're, if you're going LRQB, there's going to be quarterbacks out there for you to to select as your starter so to me you you know there's not much upside in getting a guy like Jermaine Gresham I understand that he's athletic I understand that he can do a lot but you know Andy Dalton's not very good and there there have been scenarios where they've tried to feed Jermaine Gresham the ball and it just it doesn't work he's not going to be fantasy productive I mean he's going to be a filler week in week out yeah but someone like James Casey when you can get him that late in a draft, you're getting that upside. And if he doesn't pan out, it doesn't matter. Exactly. There are guys everywhere. Exactly. Just go for a guy like James Casey. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. My goal is to mention James Casey at least once every podcast until the season starts. Well, here, here's good news for you. James Casey currently has no ADP, so that's uh, none. That's a start. Listen, I mean, I, I I know I've plugged about 14 articles I've written, uh, but you'll have to excuse me because I've done nothing but write over the last week. So. Uh, I wrote this thing about streaming tight ends on the fake football, and I think that what you're saying is absolutely right with the strategy for tight ends. If you don't get an elite guy, then you know get look at get get Casey, get Bennett, or or Gresham, and just you know you know switch them in and out, stream them, uh, decide who has the better matchup, uh, and uh, and play that guy. And and if one of them catches on, if Casey proves to be a consistent value uh consistent fantasy commodity then you know switch to him full time if you want that's fine but uh there's no harm no harm in getting two tight ends super late and just seeing who who pans out like you said yeah totally it's the it's, we we live the stream denny exactly. i mean this is you're, you're you're preaching to what uh what we hope you know into august and september once the season starts people actually do and they they recognize that when you have positions in your fantasy lineup where you're only starting one of those positions, there are a plethora of those players available. We, Everyone's been streaming defenses and whatnot for, for years, and yet we're scared to stream tight ends and quarterbacks for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because they're, they're single players and it's it just feels different. Yeah. I know with quarterbacks, I think it's because... I think there's more of a hesitation with quarterbacks because they, they do score more points. Um but uh, you know, at the same time, it, it it's very easy to manage that. It's really, really not that difficult, and that's what hopefully we're going to show you guys uh, into the season as we get closer. Absolutely, so little... wrap your head around the concept it, it, right now in March and April and May, because I think by by June and July it'll be easier to be like, no, 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 no I, I don't want to stream. I just want to get Jermaine Gresham and start him for sixteen games. Okay, all right, just leave me right. alone. But don't don't right. do that. Exactly. So those are the tight ends that, you know, that had or the impactful tight ends. I'm not going to mention Brandon Myers. I think that he's going to be another guy that you just throw in and out every week in your lineup. And then Delaney Walker, I don't know why people are so high on him. I understand that he's fairly athletic, but look how the Titans had used Jared Cook. Yeah. I mean, let's let's not let's not overexcite ourselves here. I agree. Um so the the other, the last wide receiver going back to that position that I wanted to just briefly touch on actually two more, the first one's Mike Wallace. Um, I've watched a, a lot of Mike Wallace uh, being a Steelers fan over the last three years, and uh, I I was 
I loved him, you know, as a second-year guy when he he came to form. But then, when Antonio Brown kind of kind of snuck into the into the Steelers' offense, that second half of 2011, Mike Wallace really dipped. He didn't look the same. He was more afraid of going down the middle of the field. Didn't fight for balls. I've said this many many times before. And last season too. I mean, it seemed like any time there was an interception thrown his way, which seemed to be. I mean, it seemed like it was more often than not. But that's probably just the fan in me thinking that the Steelers just got destroyed consistently last year. But, you know, he, he, he wasn't there mentally. Um, to me, the signing in Miami, he got a lot of money. Because of that, I think he's going to have a much higher ADP than he should. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's still got a young quarterback in Tannehill. You know, they're slowly building an offense around uh, their weapons. But to me, I, I don't even see Wallace. I think, you know, his ceiling's probably maybe a little over a thousand yards and eight or nine touchdowns. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds right to me. And, and, uh, uh, actually fantasy douche, uh, on Rotoviz has had a really interesting argument as to why, as to how the Dolphins pay overpaid him by so much. Um, and it comes down besides all the numbers that showed that he, like you said, actually was really had, had, uh, 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 really gone downhill in the middle of the field and in the red zone. Besides those mm-hmm. numbers, it comes down to the fact that fast guys don't get faster as they get older. You know, yep. it, it just doesn't happen. So if he relies strictly on speed, then this is a horrible deal for the Dolphins. And I think that I'm going to keep hands off Mike Wallace unless he drops a lot. Yeah, and he won't drop a lot. I guarantee it. It's just it's just the way that... that fantasy owners work yeah. when they see those big contracts absolutely you know that the uh he's he's fantasy douche makes makes a great point where longevity in the nfl receiver is not based on speed it's it's based more on on being able to catch the ball i mean look at anquan bolden like i mentioned earlier not only is his catch radius phenomenal but he doesn't need any separation against receivers to be effective We've, we saw that throughout the playoffs we saw that in the super bowl um, Captain Comeback on Twitter, actually, he's, he's a Steeler fan as well, and he writes a lot of, of longer articles uh, on on Bleacher Report and I think on his site as well. And he did a, a really nice piece on Antonio Brown versus Mike Wallace showing that Mike Wallace's catch radius is next to awful. I mean, it's yeah. just not very strong. And I, I think that alone is not very... Uh, not very positive, and you really shouldn't find much value in him next year in fantasy football, especially considering Ben Roethlisberger's not throwing on the ball. Yeah, anymore. exactly. And look, Mike Wallace is going at the first pick of the fifth round, and Cecil Shorts is going in the middle of the seventh. So what what are you doing yeah. if you're taking Mike Wallace there? Just just don't, just don't, just don't. Uh, and so the last receiver is Greg Jennings, who signed his deal with Minnesota after. You know, a little bit of, uh, again, back and forth negotiating with potentially going back to, to Green Bay. I'm not necessarily sold on this move. I think, uh, you know, he's going to be the guy in that offense. But, it, you know, it goes back to a, a very core philosophy. Just because you're the number one receiver on a team, especially in today's NFL, does not make you more fantasy relevant than number twos and number threes on other teams. You know, uh, clearly we saw Percy Harvin be a, a very, very good fantasy player in Minnesota, but but Greg Jennings is not Percy Harvin. They don't have the same skill set. Um, I'm not, I, again, I don't know what his ADP is. You might have to, to check that out. It might have changed a little bit since uh, going yeah, to Minnesota. What's that? Uh, it's the end of the sixth. Yeah, that's way too high. I, I'm not, it's the, the position's way too deep to get that excited about Greg Jennings. No, I, I agree, and I think that uh, if you look at Christian Ponder's play for most of last year, he was either instructed not to or feared throwing, uh, you know, to the perimeter and to the uh, to the middle of the field. Uh, I, I just don't see Greg Jennings running like in, when I try to picture him in a Vikings uniform. First of all, that that's weird. And that's weird. It's like Favre in a Vikings uniform, and yeah. um, uh, Jennings running those same kind of routes. Uh, that he did in, in Green Bay. I know it's not the same kind of offense, but that 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 football is not going to be delivered to him like it was by Aaron Rodgers. Not even close. The velocity is not there. The accuracy is not there. Uh, uh, Ponder, like I said, looked incredibly timid in making those kind of challenging throws. Uh, 
last year, uh, unless something really dramatic changes with the way Ponder approaches things or the way the Vikings coaches uh, treat Ponder, uh, then I, I just, I think, God, I think the, the signing is a disaster for both sides. And fantasy-wise, he's kind of a non-entity to me after, after that signing because I'm not taking him even at, even at the end of the six. I, I, don't, I don't really want anything to do with him. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, those are the wide receivers. Uh, so we saved kind of the the most important fantasy position for last, I guess, with with running backs. And to me, there were three three big signings. I would say two bigger ones. One that was just kind of whatever, but still will have a fantasy impact. So let's start with that guy. Let's start with Rashard Mendenhall going to Arizona. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think. Uh... With Arians being so pass happy, it makes me a little hesitant to kind of buy into Mendenhall as like a legit. Uh, I well, I don't know if anyone's calling him an RB one, but um, you know anything close to that. I I mean, it, it depends on who their quarterback is, obviously. But you know, if he seizes the job as a as a as a, tw- a twenty touch per game guy, uh, and his uh, in his lateral agility is back like it was not last year, not even close. I know you know that. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know the the if 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 he looks healthier and gets all uh, consistent touches, then I think he could be um, could be a, a value this year. I'm still kind of trying to get a feel for what exactly that offense might look like. I, I can't believe that they're going to roll into the season with Cobb as their definite number one starter, right? I mean they. They got to bring it. Yeah. Well, Drew Stanton now, who might oh yeah, m- might end up being the the lead quarterback there, which is just is is mind boggling. I mean, I I would assume they're going to hit the draft. Uh, maybe a Mike Glennon from from NC State uh, could be could be a pickup for them in the in the second round if he's there. But I I uh, I think it depends on where his ADP is. No one should be really high on on Mendenhall next season, but I think. The competition isn't very strong. Ryan Williams is obviously a potential talent, and I heard reports that uh, Bruce Arians did like Ryan Williams, but I think he's supposed to say that, right? Like, isn't he supposed to yeah, autom- automatically like his players? I think he was talking up Ryan Williams because he was talking, or he just pretended like Beanie Wells didn't exist when he got there. Yeah. So they, I think that he had to do that in a way. But if it becomes a timeshare, I think fantasy-wise, that's that's a, such a headache in the making. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, Beanie Wells was serviceable towards the end of last year because he was scoring. But I, Ryan Williams, first off, he's played five games his whole entire NFL, both the first first two seasons of his NFL career. Mendenhall has had injury woes. Um, to me, Mendenhall can be a pass-catching back, which is favorable, obviously, in PPR leagues. But I'm not going to get super high on him given given the offense he's in and uh, given the way that the, the Cardinals ran last year. And, you know, I'm a big Bruce Arians fan. You know, I saw a lot of him when he was in Pittsburgh, obviously. He did a great job in, in Indianapolis last year. And uh, he, he does like to have one lead back, mm-hmm. which is something to keep an eye on as you look at, at you know, mini camps and in, into, the, into the preseason um, is to see how they end up utilizing Mendenhall. He's young. He still has has doesn't he doesn't yeah. have much wear and tear. Yeah. I mean, he he also last season we have to remember came back off an ACL tear that he got that he sustained at the end of the season before prior to that. So you know a lot of people aren't Adrian Peterson. Nobody is Adrian Peterson, and nobody's even Jamal Charles. We could say. Right. So let's just let's just you know take a step back. Mendenhall played bad last year, sure, but he was also coming off that injury. And there was a constant carousel in Pittsburgh because Todd Haley could not make up his mind with who to start at running back. Yep. Uh, so the other guy uh, that I wanted to talk about was Reggie Bush. And him going to Detroit, I just looked at Denny on Skype and his eyes got really big because <laughs> I think he's excited about it. But, uh, you know, Bush being in Detroit has to has to be an exciting thing for fantasy owners. Yeah. Um, we, we saw Javid Best... Back in the day, do what he, uh, back in the day, it was like two years ago. <laughs> so long ago. So long ago. Back when when I was two years younger than I am now. Uh, so, uh, 
you know, we saw Javid Best take that kind of role, uh, that receiving back um, out of the backfield. And Reggie Bush has obviously proved that he can he can do that. So what are your thoughts on him next season? Uh, I, I think one, one stat that really caught my attention, and I know that a lot of this came in garbage time, but I don't think that you can discount it completely, is uh, Joyke Bell, the, the uh, passing down back for the Lions, uh, had the fourth most targets uh, of any running mm-hmm. back in the league. And there were, there were games where, I mean, Joyke Bell only played the second half of the game. I mean, he, 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 you know, usually it was LaShore, you know, uh, going for two yards in a cloud of dust for, for the first half. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and Bell would come in, but I mean, if they continue that, that sort of, uh, dump off action to, uh, to, to Reggie Bush, obviously Bush is, uh, you know, far, far more talented than a guy like Bell. I mean, Bell's not bad, but he's more replacement level than a guy like Reggie Bush. Um, you know, I, in PPR leagues, you know, what, what says he's not a, a, a top end RB two or a low end RB one. I mean, it, uh, I'm not sure about standard leagues because he's not going to get those, uh, goal line carries most likely with, uh, with LaShore kind of taking the big fat Michael Turner role and just kind of falling into the end zone. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I really, I really like him, and I honestly, I think that it also boosts Matt Stafford's prospects because, um, you know, uh, Bush is the kind of guy who can take that that little dump off screen pass and go fifty yards with it. I don't think Bell had that kind of breakaway speed. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, one thing that uh, people often, mis- uh, you know, they're often mistaken about Reggie Bush is the fact that he's injury prone. The last two seasons in Miami, he's only missed one game. Right. I mean, he and he those two seasons, he he received over 215 carries both years. He had 216 two years ago, and 227 last year. And when he was on New Orleans, he was only getting 150, not even some years, because he was getting hurt. So, you know, they 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 told Bush evidently that he's going to be the lead back there in Detroit. Uh, 60 receptions to me is definitely not out of the question. Oh, sure. De- uh, definitely not. Be- Bell and LaShore combined for 86 receptions last year. So what says B- Bush can't get 60, 65 of those? Yeah, and and, and Mikel LaShore is really not that good. I think we, need to, we need to clear the, clear, clear the air there. Yeah. I think one at one point on the, one of these podcasts you said that we said that Mikel LaShore was Michael Turner, a younger version of Michael Turner, but Michael Turner now. Right, exactly. And and also, I mean, look at LaShore, I, I feel bad saying that a little bit because it's clearly due some at least somewhat to the Achilles tendon he tore sure. in his rookie season. Uh but uh I just don't I don't see him as a guy who's really gonna, you know, crush Reggie Bush's fantasy value in Detroit. And I think, you know, Bush has proved that he is more than viable as a starter. Look at they were trying to phase him out at the end of last year in Miami. And he still racked up, I think, 990 yards uh, yeah. on on the ground. So you know, I I have no reason to doubt that that he'll be a, a legit, uh, you know, RB two high end RB two next year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm looking at the stats right now. The two years in Miami, he had 43 and 35 receptions, 290 yards at least both seasons, and he scored three touchdowns through the air. And then he had 12 total rushing touchdowns. I, I, I'm not. I don't think his rushing touchdowns will be that high. Like you said, it's probably going to be like a Jamal Charles kind of situation where he's getting maybe maybe four or five. But that's not going to diminish his fantasy value, especially in PPR leagues. But if it's a PPB league, I'm not sure that Reggie Bush is is the guy to own in, in a PPB league. No, no. I think that you need to stay away. You know, you know who who uh, uh, I would take over him in PPB leagues is uh, John Coon. Actually, oh John Kuhn, yeah, 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 that's a that's a good one. John Kuhn is the is the number one overall, uh, yeah, pick in those PP, yeah, PPB back, yeah. Oh God, someone's gonna start this, aren't they? The fantasy hipster is oh. gonna start this league. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So, uh, last guy, last but not least, Stephen Jackson, the soon-to-be thirty-year-old, uh, playing in in St. Louis his entire career, is going to be. An Atlanta Falcon. Um, I don't know. Do you want to go first with this one and talk about him? I have a lot of ammo on Stephen Jackson. He <laughs> might be. I might. I might be as high on Stephen Jackson as I am James Casey. Believe it or not. No, that's impossible. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Jackson, just just quickly, and I know, uh, I know, I, I'm, you know, we're not the only people high on him. I mean, I've seen some skepticism about him, and and that that's valid. He, he's 30 years old. He has a trillion miles on his on his tires, so you know, it's not, not like it's not like we're talking about a guy who it's you know impossible for him to flame out. Um, but on on that Rams offense last year, which again, if you saw it at times, it was. It was actually like offensive to the eyes, right? To watch it, yeah. it was so bad. He was facing eight eight guy fronts, nine guy fronts all year, and he finished four point one yards per carry, which was the same as Demarco Murray, the same as Arian Foster, point uh, one yard less than Lashawn McCoy's yards per carry. Uh, he was the sixteenth best running back, fantasy running back last year. Sixteenth. That that surprised me when I looked that up. I, I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect 16th. So yeah. if he can do that on that offense, now he goes to a high-powered machine in Atlanta where people defenses have to account for, you know, three all-pros, uh, you know, Julio, Roddy, and Tony Gonzalez with a quarterback who is not Sam Bradford. And, you know, you suddenly have a situation where Steven Jackson is going to see – you know, two two deep safeties and be like, guys, what the hell is this formation? I've never seen two deep safeties. <laughs> Seriously, what's going on? I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. So you know, that's. Uh, I think. I think. I think his prospects should be should be fairly high right now. Yeah, you know, let me let me throw some red zone numbers out for you because I think this is telling as to what Stephen Jackson could potentially do in Atlanta. So I wrote this article yesterday uh, called "It's Time to Do the, the Dirty Bird with Stephen Jackson." And I compared Michael Turner's red zone numbers, just touches, compared to Steven Jackson's since 2008 when Michael Turner went to Atlanta. And Michael Turner, over the the last five seasons, they both, so Jackson played 74 games over the last five seasons, and Michael Turner played 70, er, sorry, Michael Turner played 75 games and Steven Jackson played 74. So the, the, the games played were very similar. Uh, if you look at the red zone carries, Michael Turner had 126 more red zone carries than Steven Jackson did over the last five years. Wow. And if you look at opponents' 10-yard uh, line to the end zone, Michael Turner had 77 more touchdowns. Turner, Turner's did ne- T- Turner never scored less than 10 touchdowns in Atlanta while he was a starter. I mean, that that alone just screams fantasy opportunity. And I think anyone who watches football can say, Steven Jackson's a more talented running back than Michael Turner is. Steven Jackson is a physical monster. So while we all think that him turning 30 is this huge deal, uh, you know, I can, I I would say, take a step back and realize that Steven Jackson, uh, you know, he's, he's been known as a gym rat. He's, he's, he's an absolute specimen. I mean, he's insane. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, And not only that, but I don't know if people remember, but back in 2004, uh, New England signed Corey Dillon, who was a 30-year-old running back who ended up rushing for 1,635 yards and had 12 touchdowns, and then he had another one through the air. So I'm not saying that, that Steven Jackson's going to gonna get that, but I think Steven Jackson's touchdown numbers, given what Michael Turner has done in the past and given the fact that getting 35 to 40 to maybe even 50 red zone touches is not even close to out of the question for Jackson. And if that happens, he's going to score probably 12 or 13 touchdowns on the ground. Sure. And, and, uh, just a side note, uh, he's moving to a division in which he'll be able to play the saints and the Panthers combined four times next year. And neither of those teams seem too terribly interested in tackling runners, uh, for most of last year. So I think that you know him getting out of the NFC West is uh, is a is a is a huge blessing for him late in his career. Uh, you know I, I I just I can't really see a point where I would be where I, where I would say oh you know what that does make me hesitate on Jackson. I mean if you have the eleventh twelfth pick in the uh, in your in your drafts, you know I think you gotta I think you gotta think about him. You know uh, as a as an option. Yeah, and his durability is there. I mean, he's been a very, very durable back, which you cannot say about a lot of the guys going in that range. You know, you might end up, if he does slip, you might have to say, oh, am I going to get DeMarco Murray or am I going to get Steven Jackson or am I going to get Darren McFadden? Well, you're going to get Steven Jackson. He's played played 16 games last year, 12 the year before that. 12 was the lowest he's ever played in a single season. 
played 15, 13, a couple more 15s, and the rest were 16. I mean, the guy, like I said, is a monster. And everyone, everyone's been pinpointing his low, low yards per carry, like you said. But it, it's like, this is what he's done his entire career, and he has been very, very effective, both on the field and in fantasy. So I'm, I'm very high on Steven Jackson. I think that a low-end RB1 to draft is is a reasonable spot to, to take him, you know, maybe in the early second round. But he could if just watch his ADP because if he falls to the late second round, could you imagine having, you know, a guy like Doug Martin and then Steven yeah. Jackson falling to you in the second round? That is insane. Yeah, I, I think that his ADP will rise, uh, unfortunately, but that that I don't think that will deter me too much. Uh, you know, he the guys the guys a, a beast. He has all the motivation in the world to go win a Super Bowl while he can. Um, and that, that offense, man, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't put man coverage on Roddy White and Julio Jones all day, uh, you know, and that's, that's good news for anybody who's running the ball for Atlanta. Yeah, totally. And Michael Turner had 222 touches last year. Steven Jackson should easily be able to attain that. So if he, let's say Steven Jackson gets 230, 240, which is quite honestly could potentially be on the lower end. I mean, I could see him getting up to like 270 just to just to throw it out there. I I I really think that Steven Jackson, they 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 went out and got him for a reason. They're not replacing an old running back with an old running back for no reason whatsoever. Right. And and Jaquiz Rogers has had opportunities to be the lead back in in Atlanta. I think every fantasy owner has really hoped that he would take on that role, but it just hasn't worked out yet. And he is not he's not the guy in Atlanta to 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 do what they want their running back to do. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, Quiz will, you know, he's not going away and he'll spell Jackson, but yeah. I don't really, I don't really fret about how he'll impact uh, Jackson too much. Uh, just talking about game flow and, and sort of the, the, the improvement in offense from St. Louis to Atlanta, uh, the Rams offense last year uh, didn't score 17 points eight times, didn't reach. 17 oh my gosh. I mean, they, like I said, truly, truly awful offense, and he was trapped in that just th- that mud pit of an offense, and he still did okay for for fantasy owners uh, with the you know 16th best running back. So, you know, I just th- this is such an improvement on so many levels. And you're right, he's not a guy who gets older, stops stops working out, you know, stops putting forth that effort. He, he's a he's a physical freak, and I think he'll he'll continue that. Yeah, you know, I was, I'm actually looking at these, these red zone numbers specifically by year, and Steven Jackson in 2011 had 17 red zone carries and only seven within the opponents from the opponents 10 to end zone. Man. That's a that's equivalent to CJ Spiller last year. I mean, that is that is and everyone was up in arms about CJ Spiller's red zone ability. Steven Jackson, a power back who's great on the goal line. That's the kind of offense he was in. Right. I do think that he'll know what to do if he finds himself in the end zone at some point this year. I don't. I don't. I don't know what. It, it's do. been. It's. I. You know. It's been like you know seven years since he uh, last scored. So I, I think uh, he. I think someone may have to give him a refresher course in what what is goal line. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what is goal line? I mean, it, like, let's say Atlanta's on the ten yard line. You're not. You're not thinking. Stop, Stephen Jackson. You're thinking. Holy crap! Julio Jones is sitting here. Roddy White's sitting over here, and Tony Gonzalez, the best red zone tight end in the history of the NFL, is sitting here. What do you do? Oh. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. There's going to be giant holes for Steven yes, Jackson. And I'm I, really I excited it. for I, it. I love that that thought of teams just fretting over who to cover, and then Jackson just busting it up the middle and and bulldozing some safety into the end zone. Oh, yeah. my salivary glands are activated. Activated for sure. Well, on that note, I think uh, that kind of does it this week. We're not going to do any any rants, um, mostly because we were ill prepared, but also because it's March and we have a lot of time to to air our grievances with the fantasy world. There is a lot of time. Let, let's 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 uh, build up our uh, our angst one week at a time and 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 you know unleash it on our you know podcast listeners uh, maybe next month. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. That sounds really good. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be some more signings out there. Ahmad Bradshaw still doesn't have a team. Uh, 
you know, Darius Hayward Bay doesn't have a team. So, you know, next time we talk, hopefully we'll, we'll have some more, uh, uh, more of an idea of how these offenses are going to look, uh, just whether it's through press conferences with coaches and whatnot as well. But for now, uh, I'm JJ. That's my buddy Denny, co-host Denny. Denny, where can they find you at? Uh, at CDCarter13 on Twitter and uh, right for thefakefootball.com and sportsjerks.net. All right, and I'm JJ Zacharies, and you can find me at LateRoundQB on Twitter, LateRoundQB.com, and also I'm over on uh, Pro Football Focus. So for now, that's that's it. Uh, I'm JJ, it's Denny, and we are just living the stream. Mm-hmm.